Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Canto 4, chapter 1, text 61. And I'll, we can start with this verse. And then I'll just read to the end of the chapter. Chatvarinsha 
Sakam Pitri Pitapmahai Tebyo Gaya Samabhavan Chadvarim Shachapanchacha Ta Evaikona Panchasat Sakam Pitri Pitapmahai Tebyo Gaya Samabhavan Chadvarim Shachapanchacha Ta Evaikona Panchasat Sakam Pitri Pitapmahai From them, Agnayaha, fire gods, Samabhavan, were produced, Chatvarimsat, 40, Cha, and Pancha, 5, Cha, and Te, they, Eva, certainly. Ekona Panchasat, 49, Sakam, along with Pitri Pita Mahai, with the fathers and grandfather. Translation, from those three sons, another 45 descendants were generated, who are also fire gods. The total number of fire gods is therefore 49, including the fathers and the grandfather. Purport. The grandfather is Agni, and the sons are Pavaka, Pavamana, and Shuchi. 
Counting these four plus 45 grandsons, there are altogether 49 different fire gods. Text 62. Translation. These 49 fire gods are the beneficiaries of the oblations offered in the Vedic sacrificial fire by impersonalist brahmanas. <clears throat> Purport. Impersonalists who perform Vedic fruitive sacrifices are attracted to the various fire gods and offer oblations in their name. The 49 fire gods are described herewith. Text 63, translation. The Agnis, Agnisvatas, the Barishadas, the Somyas, and the Ajapas are the Pitas. They are either Sagnika or Niragnika. The wife of all these Pitas is Svata, who is the daughter of King Daksha. Text 64, translation. Svada, who was offered to the Pitas, begot two daughters named Vayuna and Dharani, both of whom were impersonalists and were expert in transcendental and Vedic knowledge. Text 65, translation. The 16th daughter, whose name was Sati, was the wife of Lord Shiva. She could not produce a child, although she was always faithfully engaged in the service of her husband. Text 66, Translation, the reason is that Sati's father, Daksha, used to rebuke Lord Shiva in spite of Shiva's faultlessness. Consequently, before attaining a mature age, Sati gave up her body by dint of yogic mystic power. Purport, Lord Shiva, being the head of all mystic yogis, never even constructed a home for his residence. Sati was the daughter of a great king, Daksha, and because his youngest daughter, Sati, selected as her husband, Lord Shiva, King Daksha was not very much satisfied with her. Therefore, whenever she met her father, she unnecessar he unnecessarily criticized her husband, although Lord Shiva was faultless. Because of this, before attaining a mature age, Sati gave up the body given by her father Daksha, and therefore she could not produce a child. Mumigyana timirandasya genonjana shalakaya chakshurun militam jena tasmai shri gurve namaha shri chaitanya mano bishtam stapitam jena bhutale svayam rupagab tadati svapananti kam jai shri krishna chaitanya prabhu nityananda shri advaita garadhar shri vasadika urabhakta vrinda vanshakalpata yubhyascha kripa sindhubhye vacha so we just finished this chapter, chapter one, the genealogical table of the daughters of Manu. And so we'll see the next couple chapters um, is, uh, we're being led into the, the next chapter. This, this was just the genealogical table and then it ends with, this chapter is ending with um, uh, Sati, the 16th daughter, who was the wife of Lord Shiva. And she actually didn't produce any children. This whole chapter was just um, listing, listing all the uh, offspring, all the, this is this, uh, how, the universe was being populated at this time. And then it goes into this story. So Vidura asks, 
um, in the next upcoming chapter, which I don't want to necessarily say the whole thing, but we'll be we'll be studying it for the next three chapters. So there's just an overview. Is that um, Daksha didn't didn't like Lord Shiva. He wasn't happy that that uh, Sati selected Lord Shiva as her husband, and um, because of that, he was unhappy about it. He didn't like him, um, and Lord Shiva was aware of this. And Vidura is asking why. In the next chapter, Vidura asks why. Why? Why if Daksha was. Um, if he loved his daughter, why was he envious of Lord Shiva? And he asked different questions. And so we'll learn about what happens with in this situation where Daksha criticizes Lord Shiva and um, Lord Shiva and Sati have a conversation about it, this. Um, and then Sati wants to go to this sacrificial uh, event, and uh, Lord Shiva warns her not to go. And so, um, but she really wants to go. She goes anyway, and then a big uh, conflict happens because Daksha, um, even though Lord Shiva is not even there. Sati, Sati could see that he didn't make even a seat for him where he made a seat for all the other uh, all the other worshipable personalities exalted personalities and so she could see that and she just she was just so angry she will, will learn all the things that she said to her father and and he proceeds to criticize Lord Shiva more and then just gets a big a big brawl breaks out. And so why is this in the Bhagavatam? You know, we're hearing about this genealogical all the, the we're learning the genealogical table, listing these different people. And then it's kinda like, oh, how how come that happened? And so when we learn the next few chapters is this whole story. And I was reflecting on this that Nosati couldn't she didn't have the opportunity to live out her full life. She didn't have the opportunity to have children, even though she was very faithful to her husband and very happy with him, even though he didn't even have a house for her. But she didn't have that opportunity because of this thing that happened. Of course, she later takes birth and becomes Parvati, and she's reunited with Lord Shiva. But um, we can just see how um, pride causes such a mess. And um, I was seeing all the different stories in Bhagavatam where, due to pride, things got so messy. This this um, whole thing that happened between Sati and Daksha and Lord Shiva was uh, very messy 
and unnecessary, and we'll, we'll see later that <clears throat> the whole story, but in the purport, Prophet's saying that um, um, he, Daksha unnecessarily criticized Lord Shiva. So it wasn't really even necessary. Um, and I'm just reflecting on this, you know, the power of the power of humility and the uh, the danger of pride. That uh, humility is truly empowering, even though Daksha was a very powerful person. <clears throat> it said he was so effulgent that his effulgence was like was like the sun, and when people were around him, they just felt like. His presence was just so amazing and powerful that they, they felt insignificant. They felt he was amazing. Yet, yet somehow his attitude towards Lord Shiva, who, uh, it, who was faultless, period. Like there was no question of, of that. He was just faultless. But somehow, um, even when someone is faultless, uh, like Lord Shiva, Somehow, someone manages to find something, not just find it, actually, but create something. Um, it's not just that, like, he found fault. It was, because what is there to find? It's that he created something. He just makes something up. So, Daksha just uh, unnecessarily criticizes Lord Shiva, although he was faultless. And humility is, as Krishna says in, in the Bhagavad Gita, that um, it's one of the qualities that he lists in the 13th chapter when he lists all the qualities um, that he declares to be knowledge. Um, and then he says, uh, humility and pridelessness, all these, so he lists all of them, and then two, two of them are Humility and pridelessness. He says, all, Krishna says, all these I declare to be knowledge. And besides this, whatever there may be is ignorance. So of those lists of qualities, humility and pridelessness is knowledge. And if those, uh, whatever is outside of those things is, is, is ignorance. And so what does that mean? And it, we see examples of exalted devotees, how powerful they are when they're humble. It said that Lord Chaitanya, his humility would, would like melt people. And you see like great devotees when they're, uh, when they're humble, it's just so soothing and melting. And um, I was just studying for one course yesterday, book distribution course. And Vaishesh Kapoor is describing how our legacy is to actually be a part of the distribution of mercy. And it all originally, this knowledge of the Supreme Personality of God, it came from Krishna playing his flute and Lord Brahma hearing that flute. And then you know, he's holding the wisdom, the knowledge from Lord Brahma he gave to his sons and his disciples. And from then, the next succession, the next succession, the next succession. And so it's a down, a downflow of mercy. And 
we can't receive hum- we can't receive that mercy and distribute it to others unless we have this mood, this ad- attitude and mood of humility. It's a very it's a receptive mood. That is, when there's pride, it blocks the flow of mercy. And uh, Krishna also says in the 16th chapter, he has a list of qualities. Um, humility is one of them. A paishanam is another one, aversion to fault finding. So uh, humility is one of the qualifications of a trans- transcendentally situated person. How do we situate ourselves so that we're receiving mercy, the mercy flow, because it's always flowing. Krishna is always playing his flute, but Brahma is, re- is hearing that flute, that flow of mercy is coming all the time. And so how do we ma- maintain that mood so that we can continuously receive that flow of mercy? <clears throat> we have to create ourselves like a vessel. We have to be like a vessel, and part of that formation of that vessel to receive the mercy is to be um, very alert to the presence of pride in ourselves and the different manifestations that it takes that it, that it takes on inside ourselves, and how and understand that that pride it's like a a dam, it like <clears throat> it's like a, a clutter inside the f- that blocks the flow of mercy. <clears throat> these and these qualities, they <clears throat> they can naturally come from our practice of Krishna consciousness, and and at the same time we can also be uh, be, be proactive in cultivating them in themselves. Prabhupada says in the uh, third canto, uh, 29, 18, he's saying that um, a devotee should, well, this is the translation, a devotee should always try to hear about the spiritual matters and should always utilize his time in chanting the holy name of the Lord. His behavior should be always straightforward and simple. And although he is not envious but friendly to everyone, he should avoid the company of persons who are not spiritually advanced. And then Prabhupada says in the purport, a devotee should not be proud of his acquisitions. The symptoms of a, devote, of a devotee are meekness and humility. Although spiritually very advanced, he will always remain meek and humble. As Kaviraj Goswami and all the other Vaishnavas have taught us by personal example. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught that one should be humbler than the grass on the street and more tolerant than the tree. One should not be proud or falsely puffed up. In this way, one will surely advance in spiritual life. And so we see, um, I don't know who mentioned this in class the other day, but they were saying that the first the first prayer in Lord Chaitanya's prayer, the Shikshastigam, is um, that I'm recognizing that this mercy is coming and that uh, we have to be clear from this we have to clean our heart so we can receive it and have this, what's that? Bolabhasas. And so that is the mood of Sankirtan, that, this, that, we've, that we're keen on cl- clearing our vessel so that we can receive, we can receive the benediction moon um, and be soothed 
and then um, share this Krishna consciousness with others, which is soothing for the agitated hearts and minds. So we should be really careful um, in how we associate with others who, who we're associating with, just to be very careful about what ideas and attitudes are there. Um, and it's not just um, being uh, cautious, but it's just being smart. You know, if, if we really are concerned about our spiritual life, then we, we can remember that humility is what empowers us. Even when we're uncertain, even when uncertainty is there, what is certain, we can always feel certain when we're dependent on Krishna. When we're dependent on Krishna, we're naturally um, feeling this mood of humility because we understand that even these talents that I have, these, these if I have money, if I have um, supporters, um, if, if like, if like, like um, we'll see, Lord Brahma gave Daksha a position. He had a position and Daksha became proud because of the position that he had. So we might have a position, we might have skills or talents, and at any point in time, those can go away. So if we, if we bank on those things, if we're proud of those things, then what happens is, is as soon as those go away, where will our footing be? So to have humility means to empower us when, empower us because those things that we might think that we should lean on and you know, rest on our laurels, so to speak, they can go at any, they can shift and change. And we can even see that um, Krishna empowered Arjuna to fight in the, in the Kurukshetra battle, but later on we'll see in the Bhagavatam that he, he, um, his powers were not there anymore because his service was done. Krishna empowered him. So I was, I was making, like, finding different points about humility that I thought, just list off. So humility frees us from dependence on our own power and grants us access to God's power. So when we have this mood, it's like we're just creating this fertile soil to receive mercy. We don't we don't necessarily have to, you know, weigh lean on these things that can shift and change. Humility means to focus on how we can serve not on what we deserve. Humility learns from success, but pride doesn't learn even from failure. So when, we're, when we have humility, when we have this humble spirit, that every, everything can be such a great learning lesson. Whereas when in the presence of pride, even, even when we fail, even when, there's even when different things are happening, we'll never really ever learn. So we're we have the, the gates closed to even Krishna's messages. Humility is the pathway to Krishna. Humility paves, paves the way from perplexity to clarity. So we'll see that that clarity to receive whatever we need to receive for serving, for continuing on in Krishna consciousness, that clarity will come when we keep our 
the vessel in the right condition with humility. Humility propels us on the journey from self-absorption to Krishna absorption. And to grow in humility, we have to stay rooted in reality, not letting our ego come in the way of our purpose. And humility opens the door to wisdom. And uh, I was thinking if anyone would like to share uh, instances they know of where, in the Bhagavatam stories, where pride existed that made a big mess. Where's it going? Thank you. When you when you said that somebody who's humble, they learn from their successes, but somebody who's proud doesn't even learn from their failures. I was thinking of. Um, a friend, I forget his name, but someone will, will help me out with that. There was a king that Krishna fought like 17 times. Jarasantha, that's right. And um, if this was Krishna book test, you, you'd earn a burfi for that. So, if. <laughs> so yeah, Jarasantha, he brought an army to face Krishna. And he lost every single man. And Krishna didn't lose one person. And he was just utterly wiped out. So he was like beyond humiliating. I mean, it was the ultimate curb stomp. And then, and then he went and he left away. And his, his friend said, look, you know, the sun was in your eyes. You know, you had a bad day. You probably had some bad kitchery that morning. Just like, you know, get in there. You can do it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. And he fought him 17 times. And every single time, Krishna wiped out his armies and didn't lose a single man. Because he wouldn't learn. <laughs> he just wouldn't learn. Anyway, I thought that, that's so funny. Every time I think about that. The causeless optimism of the demon. I have a... a can anybody recall... A, um, well, everything comes from Krishna or, or Vishnu. So can anybody recall an incident where, that shows Krishna or Vishnu's utter humility? Which one? Okay. Good. I have another one. Um, when the four Kumaras went to went to barge into Vishnu's uh, kingdom, and Jaya and Vijay stopped them, and they committed an offense because they didn't know. It's like when when you have five-year-old kids here doing, doing the lecture, doing Bhagavatam, you just want to send them outside, you know, because they make noise and they don't understand philosophy. So Jai and Vijay thought the same thing, you know, go, go outside, go inside, I play. Um, and Vishnu immediately came and took responsibility for it, because actually the, the problems caused by servants are the master's responsibility. That's what he said. And he offered to cut his own arms as an atonement. Yeah, that's, it takes a lot of humility to, to get to that level. 
So I was thinking, you know, since everything comes from him, there, there is the example of the supreme example of humility, offer his own transcendental body as an atonement. I was just thinking, uh, along with the example of Jarasandha, and, and you were mentioning about humility creating like a vessel, or it creates a vessel for um, mercy to flow into. And then I was thinking, s similar example with Jarasandha, like because of his pride, it gave him a certain type of vessel, and that vessel was uh, uh, well-suited for bad advice. Right, so so I was thinking too how pride, you know, lends to more suffering, because if I have pride, then I'll get bad advice, and and I'll I'll be like ready for bad advice to protect my pride. So like with Jarasandha, like he was, you know, he was defeated over and over again, and then like you know his friends were like, oh yeah, it was a fluke, and he was like, yeah, because that that polished his ego. And I was thinking of um, uh, in Mahabharata. Uh, after the Rajasuya Yagya and Jyotun is going back to Hastinapur and he's just burning with envy because he just saw his cousins and how opulent and how beautiful and then there was that whole fiasco where he was walking through the, the beautiful um, uh, assembly hall of Maharaj Yudhisthir the Maya Shabha and he was bewildered by the, he thought it was a, a door but it was actually a wall so he ran into the wall and then, uh, then he fell into the water that he thought was the floor, and he and all the Christian queens were laughing at him, and it was he was like super embarrassed, burning with this envy, and uh, he's going back, and he was kind of having this reflective moment of, oh, you know, Yudhishthira's, you know, they are just opulent, and even when I've tried to defeat them, they've they've just come out even better, you know, and uh, but then Shakuni was like, actually, we could still beat them. And he like he plants the idea of the gambling match, right? So because of Duryodhana's pride, that's the type of advice. And then you see this throughout the Mahabharata over and over again. You have these personalities that, because of their arrogance and their pride, they're so susceptible to bad advice and bad association, like Jarasandha, Dhritarashtra, Duryodhana, all these people. So I was thinking about that in terms of like the container, and that because of their pride, that's what they want to hear. So then they hear the thing that's actually going to perpetuate their more suffering. Uh, for uh, pride, there's the uh, Govardhan Lila with Indra, and then for humility, there's Krishna washing the feet of all the guests at the Rajashiya Jagya. feels like um, humility and pride, the difference between the two, and, and then when we are 
like Anand Maharaj was saying that even with Jarasandha, it was like, oh yeah, no, this, you know, he's got another friend that's like feeling the same way <laughs> about Krishna. Like, no, let's do it again. No, let's try again. Like, try to cut him down another time. Try to cut him down another time. You know, it just it'll just go on and on and on. And even uh, um, Ruk, uh, Rukmi, it was like so envious of Krishna. He just wanted to. You know, just talk this, talk that, say this, say that. And even Krishna had like a limit. I think, how did he get like a hundred times? Like, okay, I'll let him go for, I'll go until the 99th time. And once the hundred hits, then he just cut off his head. And so, even Daksha um, gets his head cut off from criticizing Lord Shiva. So, that even, even that. One might think like, oh, this thing, this won't end. It's just <clears throat> the pride and the offense will just like, you know, you get, you got one person that feels a certain way, and then others, yeah, 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 and then it'll go on and on and on, and then at a certain point, depending on who that person, advanced soul is that's receiving such um, mistreatment, will the effects will come. But even if the effects don't seem so apparent, that just just being Krishna conscious and being able to do service and chant the holy name isn't of itself such a boon. It's such it's such like <clears throat> you know it's such a benedictine moon to be engaged in this sankirtan movement. Just to be able to to be truly engaged. I was thinking how wonderful it is that I can that I get to chant my japa every day like why why did i ever think that it was a burden why did i ever resist it why i said somehow somehow the disturbance of my mind was better like no you know somehow the just finding fault with others was, was better than than just being able to chant simply humbly and do service simply humbly and not have to worry about the problems and things that I think about of others. That that in and of itself is such a blessing. It's such a it's such a cooling, soothing thing to be engaged and be peaceful in that way, and to share it with others and share it with others. Like chanting, chanting Hare Krishna, practicing Krishna consciousness, and sharing it with others is very simple. And that somehow, in the presence of pride. We get caught up in all the intricacies of politics or issues and between this and that and this and that. And so it, 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 we're lucky, we're fortunate if we can practice and serve simply. Just being able to practice and serve is, is, a, is, is we, we are situated in a place that we're cruising to the destination. And when we're not situating ourselves and we're having the presence of pride, then we are sort of off kilter and the direction is going somewhere else. We will stay here. We will stay here until we re, re, um, rebalance, realign ourselves to go to be determined to go be with Krishna full time.
Any other comments? Tush Prabhu was texting and uh, reminding us of the pastime of Ramachandra Puri and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. How, uh, because of Ramachandra Puri's pride, he created such an offense to a spiritual master that he was then um, condemned and, and was essentially stuck in this pattern of fault finding. Um, but you can see, because like Ishwar Puri is. is on his, you know, he's departing this world and he's, he's entering into the pastimes of Krishna and in, in a mood of great separation he's calling out, oh why I never achieved Govinda and I never saw Krishna and, and he's lamenting in this ecstatic bliss and his prideful disciple Ramachandrapuri says, oh you shouldn't be lamenting Gurudev, you should meditate on Brahman, you should meditate on Brahman and because of his pride he wasn't actually, not only does pride like perpetuate itself, I've noticed, unless like the heart change, unless my heart changes, but it also it blocks us from access into the sweetness. Like, because you're you're mentioning like, when is it ever better to like you know why why is chanting my rounds a burden? Would I prefer just the agitation of my mind? But because of my pride, I don't actually have access into that truth of how sweet devotional service is or how sweet devotee association is, I just see the faults in all the Vaishnavas. And so Ramachandra Puri, he didn't have that, that pride blocked his access into actually what his spiritual master was experiencing. So then he would go, he was just going around all over the place and uh, he started, he would invite the Vaishnavas over and because of his own pride, to protect his pride and prestige of being like, you know, I'm a big devotee or I'm a big person, Right, he would have them eat so much and then he'd criticize them and he started criticizing Mahaprabhu. And then this example of Mahaprabhu expressing humility, how then even Ramachandra you know, was wrongly criticizing Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu was eating maybe a handful of rice. He cut his eating down to half because, because of the criticisms of Ramachandra Puri. And so just this demonstration of, of humility and he wasn't like retaliating or, or anything like that. Um, yeah. And in this regard, there was a, there was a time in New York where the, the artists, some of the artists of ISKCON were were doing paintings. Actually, it was a big marathon because Prabhupada was trying to finish the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and you know, record time. So they. They basically, the artists were in LA and they were in uh, in New York, and and they were using anybody to to make paintings. They had to just produce them like anything. So they called this devotee uh, to pose, and uh, quite proud. And uh, so, oh, nice. You know, so he posed for a, for a painting, and he ended up being Ramachandrapuri. That was he. He was <laughs> actually perfect fit because he was very proud and he was very upset that they chose him for I mean <laughs> Ramachandrapuri I, I won't say his name um, I mean they say they shouldn't speak bad of the death he passed away already but since we believe there is no death that we are eternal I, I can still tell that the little pastime that yes because of pride because he thought yes yes I, I'm gonna be 
immortalized in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, but he didn't know it was going to be as Ramachandra Puri. Some things from our mind. There's questions, or one question. Uddhava Sandish Prabhu asks Can humility be directly cultivated, or is it just an indirect byproduct of bhakti? For example, waking up and saying, I'm going to be humble today. It's both. Um, naturally, in our in our practice of Krishna consciousness, while we're serving and in, in the sangha of the Vaishnavas, we'll find ourselves becoming purified of pride. Naturally, it happens. Naturally, in in the sangha, we we become purified, and we we get humble in sangha and seva if we stick around. If we stick around. Um, and also, we can practice it. So we can do both. Um, you know, one like practical thing that it's, you know, it's not just some nebulous thing that we just have to sort of wait to happen or like we just get kicked around and finally we're humble in the Sangha. But we can actually cultivate it, yes. Um, just, just un, you know, finding, understanding what it what it looks like, what it feels like, knowing different personalities who we really experience that presence of humility in, and meditating on that. Like, when I say meditating, this is what I mean. Just, even just thinking of different exchanges I've had with, with certain devotees and experiencing their, their demeanor in different circumstances, then I remember that 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 demeanor, and I and I just recall that. And even studying about something like studying about humility, one thing I really like to do is just going on Vanipedia and s- finding things that Prabhupada has spoken or written about humility. And there's different, you know, looking up different qualities. And sort of like studying like different pastimes that that personalities had this quality. What did it look like? What happened in that exchange? What did it feel like? And then and then now in my present everyday life, who who have I exchanged with that I felt that similar presence? And so being aware of what it feels like, that's a that's an active way of cultivating it. And and even praying and praying to Krishna. Um, and Srila Prabhupada that, you know, I, I want to cultivate this, I want to have this, because I know that it's for my benefit and devotional service. I want that. What's that? It's a dangerous prayer. It's dangerous prayer. <laughs> you can preface it with it. <laughs> Not too much, but it's that I can handle. Bhakta Harley gave the example of um, Indra not standing for a spiritual master, Brihaspati, leading to the demigods getting conquered. 
and Vritrasur pastime. I had, um, can I share a story? Or, yeah. I just, I was just wondering if anyone remembered that thing that Bada Hari Prabhu said about humility. It was really powerful. He said something about, someone asked a question and he said, oh, don't worry, Krishna will always smash you. But I forget what the question was. Does anyone remember? What is it? That's the question? Okay. Yes, yeah, so someone was asking, how do I become humble? And then Bhattahari said, don't worry, Krishna will always smash you. <laughs> so it seems a little scary, but at the same time, <laughs> it's reassuring because we, don't have to, we just have to be sincere and keep going. Hare Krishna. I was asked during a Bhagavatam class by a by devotee at the Krishna Balaram Mandir, a Brahmachari, how do, you, how do you stay humble? And I asked him, do you, do you live in the ashram? He said, yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. The devotees will always uh, find a way to criticize you, so you don't have to worry. It always happens like that. And there was something very enlightening that Sasvarup Maharaj said. Uh, the body approached him and said, Maharaj, I, will, I wish I was as humble as you are. And Sadhguru Maharaj said, I was always this way. It would be better if you are, are yourself but become Krishna conscious. Because humility can be confused with shyness or bashfulness, but it has nothing to do with that. It's to accept that you're a servant and you're insignificant. That's pretty humbling right there. That you're not number one. Yeah, um, it was also a, uh, something a devotee said. Um, this one is R- Radnath Maharaj said, um, well, there's a, a small story that goes with it. So uh, as long as Giriraj Maharaj was in Los Angeles, temple and um, so when his Ranath Maharaj came and for whatever reason or somehow no one noticed Ranath Maharaj coming into the temple so he wasn't um, received properly and so afterwards Giraj Maharaj said um, said to him no Maharaj I'm sorry it seemed like no one noticed you were here and Radha Maharaj said, when a cockroach walks into the temple, who notices? Um, yeah, but he, and he was, Giraj Maharaj says he was serious. You could tell that he was, he was actually meant that. And, um, and he was asking him, how do you have that humility or how do you like, maintain that kind of humility? And he said, um, just like if someone criticizes you, in order to not get disturbed, you, you have to not take it seriously. So similarly, when, so when you're praised, um, you just don't take it very seriously. I was just thinking um, to that point that Jivan just talked about that yesterday in um, 
Mahatma Prabhu's class, he talks about how it's happened a couple times, but he said, cultivate humility sooner or like now or every day um, because later on when us like 20-year-old, 30-year-olds grow up, as long as we stay in the movement, just because we're staying in the movement, by the time we reach a certain age, people will just naturally like um, look up to us or um, think of us as like more and so we can become really prideful if we don't cultivate it at a young age because even if we don't do anything except just stay in the movement we'll still get some kind of honor and so it will really hurt us later on if we don't cultivate it now Thank you. I was just thinking that um, Krishna, Lord Chaitanya, he's the best example of everything, including uh, humility. And Lord Chaitanya came, you know, as a devotee. He wanted to be, uh, you know, well, he showed the prideful pastimes of Nimai Pandit, you know, the logician and all that. But his uh, main thrust was um, really how to serve all the living entities and, um, you know, be uh, an example of a devotee. So Krishna himself is the example, best example of transcendental pride and transcendental humility as Lord Chaitanya. So we'll, we'll probably be talking about this more because the pastime is coming up in the next chapter. So whoever gives class tomorrow will start and we'll, we'll learn the whole story more. We'll go learn about the story and all the nuances that happened in this event, this conflict, this tension between Daksha and Lord Shiva and Sati's involvement and her her um, self, uh, she, emulation. What is it? Immolation. Emulation. Emulation. Self-immolation because of this terrible offense. So, Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.